Uh, so we're in, a, we're in our series, we're going through, we don't normally do this, but this year we're going through the church calendar. Uh, we're, we're centering, I've been talking about why we've been doing this, and we're, we've been focusing on the Gospels, and we're centering our life, our time, the way we think about time around the person of Jesus. And you may not know, although I put it in an email a week ago, but last Thursday was a holiday in the church calendar. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. It was a holiday. Even if you think about the word holiday, it's easy to picture it in your mind. Holiday is literally holy day, right? Holy day, holiday. It's a holiday. And I've been told in Europe, um, there are some European countries that actually celebrate last Thursday as a holiday. They get four days off, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, a four-day weekend. They celebrate. It's part of the way they operate. It's part of the rhythm. But we don't obviously do that here, which is why many of you didn't know that it was a holiday. It's called Ascension Day. As we've been walking through, we're in our seventh Sunday after Easter, 40 days after Jesus is resurrected. You have 40 days of resurrection appearances, and then you have Jesus ascending into heaven. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I was thinking this week, I'm like, I don't ever remember hearing a sermon on the Ascension. I went to seminary. I've studied the Ascension quite a bit, though I did learn a lot this week, which was kind of fun. But I was like, I don't remember ever hearing a sermon on the Ascension, and then I just stream of consciousness started thinking, but I grew up in a Lutheran church that really did follow the church calendar, so I'm sure at some point a pastor preached on the Ascension, I just don't remember it, which made me want to apologize to my previous pastors for forgetting that, and then I went one more step and said, well, this is probably then going to be my most forgettable sermon ever, so... There's a good chance you won't remember what we talk about today. I never remembered it. No, hopefully you do. And I, I'm giving you a, a holiday gift. If you got a bookmark or on your way out, if you grab a bookmark, uh, the bookmark is kind of a gift, but really the gift is the prayer. And we're going to end our time taking about five or six minutes walking through this prayer. And this prayer will help you. It actually will probably help you if you, if you receive the gift of this prayer that we're going to look at, kind of actually is probably linked all the way back to St. Patrick in the 400, 1600-year-old prayer. But if you begin to pray this prayer, um, I think you will never forget Ascension again. And if you're at home and you aren't here to get a bookmark, just shoot me an email and I'll put one in the mail for you. But normally what I've been doing in this series is I've been following through the Book of Common Prayer. Again, we don't do this every year. We're just doing it this year because the Book of Common Prayer follows the church calendar. And I've been preaching the gospel text. And our gospel text this week is John 17. But I actually called an audible. I gave myself permission. I, haven't, I don't think I've done it yet, but I'm doing it this week because I wanted to teach on the Ascension just a little bit because it's something that is, because you, you probably didn't know it was Ascension Day. You probably didn't get out fun hats and banners and decorate your house. You probably didn't go shopping for presents on Ascension Day, but it's a big day. It's a holiday. It's a holy day. And as I got into like even reminding myself of the, the theological importance of the Ascension Day and then the practical implications. So we'll do a little bit of theologizing today. It's a theological event in the story of Jesus. But we'll also lean into the practical implications for what this, why it's important. Why would we have a holy day about Ascension Day? It matters, and it's going to matter to you. It's important stuff. Uh, and the other thing that's different, so if you're newer to Crossview, I don't always do this, but um, our gospel text is going to be really small. There is a little bit of mystery 
that I think is appropriate. I like to say frequently that we confess more than we can explain as Christians. God is big. <laughs> and so we confess more than we can explain. And so I wanted to take a multiple different angles of looking at what this event is, the ascension. So we actually have seven different texts we're going to look at this morning. So I'll try to be as quick as I can, but you almost get seven mini-sermons. You get more than you thought. How do you like that? So our text this morning, we're going to begin with Luke 24. This is probably, you could say, our primary text, but we'll, we'll look at a bunch. But this is this is the event. This is the end of Luke's gospel. Luke is the only one. He does it twice. We'll look at both. But he's the only one who records this event that happens in salvation history. Verse 50, Jesus led them to Bethany. Bethany is not that bend to Bethany. It's not that far from Jerusalem. Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. So you got to kind of picture this. There's going to be a little bit of mystery around this. While he was blessing them, he left them and he was taken up to heaven. He was ascended to heaven. We confess that in our Christian creeds. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And they worshipped him and they returned to Jerusalem. They were filled with great joy and they spent all their time in the temple praising God. So that's the ascension. Now Luke writes about it again. He's going to write about it at the beginning of his second book, The Acts of the Apostles. And he's going to give us a little bit more detail that again will invite us deeper into the story of God and what's going on. Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After saying this, you can see what he said before this. Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. A cloud. Why a cloud? He's going up, and we'll talk a little bit about what, what's being communicated as he ascends. But into a cloud. Anytime you see that cloud, it should in, just ignite in your mind this, the story of the Old Testament. How often is the presence of God manifest in a cloud? The, the pillar of cloud and fire that leads the Israelites through the wilderness? Or the stories I love, you know, they build the tabernacle and they build the temple and God's glory falls upon the tabernacle and the temple in a way that a cloud fills the temple, the tabernacle, and the priests can't even go in because of the cloud. So there's a sense of Jesus is ascending and he's entering into this cloud. It's the presence of God, the presence of the Father. And it says they could no longer see him. They see him ascend and then he, they can't see him. And I love the language. Verse 10, they're straining to see him, right? They're, they're straining. They're trying to, what is going on and where is he going and what's happening? And these two white-robed angelic men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? And this is important. This is part of us getting into the story. Jesus has been taken from you and he's gone into heaven but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. That's what we call the second coming, folks, and that's good news. We long for that day when Jesus eradicates evil and everything wrong with this world, and we have the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. Now, as I was reading, I did a lot of reading, as I said, about the ascension, and a lot of people talk about Acts 1 to 9, 11, and they get really excited because it's as if these angelic men are saying, snap out of it, disciples. <laughs> He's coming back, but until then, you've got work to do, so get going. Get, get to work. Build the church. Make disciples of all nations. Baptize. Teach everything Jesus taught you. Teach it to others. We'll talk more about that next week, next Sunday in our church calendar. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Very, very important day as well. And we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and the work that we're called to participate in. Today, we're focusing on the ascension 
one author says this, Jesus is lifted up, indicating to the disciples, not that he was heading out somewhere beyond the moon. Again, I'm going to stress this a few times because I I don't want you to start thinking that Jesus is the first astronaut. (laughs) I don't want you to think of Jesus in like some space suit or like the first Neil Armstrong to walk on the moon. That's not what is happening. That's not what's being communicated in the text. He is ascending into the presence of the Father, and he's going into what we could call God's space. Or maybe you'd be more comfortable calling it God's dimension. But Jesus has gone from earth into heaven. Heaven is God's dimension of reality. Right? Heaven is where God's will is perfectly done. That's why we pray in the Lord's prayer, your will be done here on earth in this dimension, in this space, as it is in heaven your dimension, your space. And one of the things I also want you to be thinking about is is not that Jesus is ascending up to some distant place. It's going to take forever for our prayers to get. No, heaven is not that far away. And heaven is always, we'll talk a little bit more, but heaven is always breaking into earth. We have to have eyes to see it. The kingdom of God is coming within our midst. So Jesus has entered into the dimension of heaven and he's going to come back. And what happens is what Revelation grabs at the end is there's going to be this great marriage of heaven and earth and then all will be well. (laughs) And all will be well. So Jesus is in heaven. He's ruling the world and he will return one day to make that rule complete. Now again, it's kind of a, it's visually puzzling. It's it's kind of confusing. It's, It's really mysterious. And I like to ask questions. Why do you do it this way? I mean, why, why, why this like odd? I mean, even of all the miracles the disciples saw Jesus, this might be the oddest, right? I mean, walking on water is kind of crazy, but I mean, ascending into a cloud is like, oh, it's crazy. It's super crazy. So why does he do it this way? Because even, you know, if you know, your, if you know the story in Luke 24, you have the story of Easter, you have Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus, and the people he's walking with don't recognize him until he breaks bread with them. And I love the text because they recognize it's him and then he's gone. This new creation body of Jesus, the first fruits of the new creation, somebody just vanished, he's just gone. So why doesn't Jesus do that? Why is Jesus visibly seen ascending into the clouds into heaven? Well, we don't really know. We'll talk a lot about what we do know, but again, we're going to confess more than we can explain. But but I I do want to speculate a little bit because I think I mean, Jesus knows what he's doing, and he's always trying to communicate to us who he is and what he's about. And I do think there's something to this elevation in space that is communicating to us that Jesus now, and i got to be careful how I say this, but, but Jesus in his earthly ministry is now elevated in authority and relationship. I mean, I'll come back to this at the end just so you don't get confused. Jesus has always been... And he's always been king, and he's always been God. But as we follow the story of God at work in humanity and salvation history, there is a sense that this is, Jesus is being exalted. It's it's like a promotion in the way that we understand. Because he's becoming Lord of all. That's what we'll see again and again as we look at all these texts. Jesus, as he's ascending, is, is tracing out physically what is happening cosmically and spiritually. I mean, we, we use this language all the time. A lot of schools are ending up either last week or this week. My son just passed sixth grade. Good job, Jay. And we might say that Jay has moved up to seventh grade. 
Now he's going to go back to the same school next year, and there's not, it's not like he's actually going up a floor next year. No, he hasn't really physically gone up, but we say he's moved up. We use that language in the business world. We're climbing up the ladder, right? We're gaining authority or responsibility or stature or reputation, right? That's what the language is used. Jesus, in a sense, is being promoted. He's being exalted to the right hand of God. Now you might say, well, where is the right hand of God? Am I supposed to picture, again, astronaut Jesus sitting on some chair out in the middle of outer space just floating in orbit around some planet? No, you're not supposed to picture that. You say, where is the right hand of God? And I might just say, and you'll see as we get through this, I might just say, well, where isn't the right hand of God? Can you really say, well, the right hand of God isn't there or isn't there? In other words, I don't want you this morning to be thinking too much about physical geography as we talk about the right hand of God. I want you to be thinking about a position of absolute authority over all things, which may stretch your imagination a little bit, that someone would have authority over all things, but that's what we're told about Jesus. He has ascended to a position of supreme authority. So let's keep going through the text. We're on to text number three. Let's go to Hebrews chapter one. If you get a bookmark, this is one of the verses I put on the back. Just read this again. Hebrews one, one I love these verses. And the author of Hebrews is going to be inviting us into this story, the story of the Bible. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. Getting invited into this biblical story. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. Jesus is the word of God. And everything God wants to say to you and to me, he said through his son, Jesus. Love that. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, He created the universe. Now, again, you need to stretch your mind a little bit. I already said this, but there is no beginning to Jesus. There, there is never a point, this should blow your mind, there's never been a point ever when God wasn't. That's why Genesis 1 begins, in the beginning, God. <laughs> Uh, so, so the Father, the way, the way we enter into this massive story of eternity, which, what, what do you mean? There's all, always been. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed in perfect love. That's why we can say God is love. They've always existed. And they created out of their love to invite us into their love. And so the way the Bible talks about creation is really creation comes through the sun. So, so there was nothing. There was, I mean, at the beginning of the creation of matter, of, of all of creation, that's when, that's when time begins. God existed before that. And so the sun speaks this into existence and he creates the universe. That's who this Jesus is. And so, so that, again, that should tell you something because he's always been, but then he enters into our story. And now he's ascending back into the presence of the Father. It's a beautiful story. Verse 3, this will get us more into the story. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. So if you're newer to church, if you're new to Crossview, if you're joining us online and you're exploring Christianity and you're wondering, who is God? I don't know that I believe in God. Maybe I'm starting to believe there is a God. Who is this God? What is this God like? Is he for me or is he against me? What do I know? And here's the best thing I can tell you. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Get to know Jesus because he expresses the very character of God. And if you think something is true about God and it's not true about Jesus, you might want to rethink that. <laughs> because Jesus expresses the very character of God. And 
He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. Now we're back into authority. That's what the Bible tells us. Jesus sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, right? When he gave his life as the perfect sacrifice on the cross, he died on the cross for our sins. After he had cleansed us from our sins, here we go. He sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. That's the author of Hebrews' way of talking about the ascension. A lot of our New Testament authors talk about the ascension. It matters. It's important. We run past Ascension Day not even thinking about it. It's really important. It's an important holiday. None of the early Christians, as I said, thought of Jesus as a primitive spaceman heading off into orbit or beyond. So that if you search throughout the far reaches of what we call outer space, you could eventually find him. No, this is, this is what they believed. And I... I want you to think, this is really important. You could sit with this for a little bit. They believe that heaven and earth are the two interlocking spheres of God's reality. Again, heaven is not that far away. And think about this. They believe that the risen body of Jesus is the, it's the first fruits of the new creation. That's why, and Paul will talk about the imperishable bodies that we will get in 1 Corinthians 15. It all comes from his understanding of the resurrection of body of Jesus. The risen body of Jesus is the first object which is, which is fully at home both in heaven and on earth. And that's what gives us such hope. Because we see the resurrected body of Jesus in heaven and earth. It's, it's at home in both places. Well, that's, we're not quite yet there, but we will get there when Jesus fully redeems us. When he marries heaven and earth together. When he joins everything together, everything is renewed I don't know if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's books on the Chronicles of Narnia. I know they were written for kids, but you're never too old to read them. I love those books. If you haven't read them for a while, maybe this summer, you pick up the Chronicles of Narnia. Pick up The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or The Voyage of the Dawn. I pick them all up. And as you do, if you want to begin to even press a little bit into your imagination about heaven, think about the ways that Lewis talks about these different spheres of worlds. He's got England, you know, our world, and then he's got Narnia, and actually he's got some other places too. And I love the beautiful ways that we, the surprising ways that these, these worlds, they're not that far apart, they intersect and interlock, sometimes through the back of a wardrobe, sometimes through a painting of a boat on the wall, and then your room gets filled with water, and all of a sudden you're in another, Lewis is trying to tell you heaven's not that far away. It's God's dimension, it's a different place. Reread those, reread those and fall in love with Aslan because I love the way he talks about Aslan. It's just pictures of Jesus. But think about the way he talks about heaven. Now here in, in, in Hebrews, the author says that Jesus sustains everything. And I'm going to say it this way. He sustains everything right now. Jesus sustains everything right now by the power of his command. In other words, Jesus is in charge not only in heaven, but also on earth. Not only in some ultimate future, but also in the present. One author says it this way. If we end the story of Jesus by saying that Jesus went off to heaven, but someday he'll come back and bring the kingdom of God, then, then, then it can fool us into believing that you and I are free to want, run the world the way we want in what we assume is the absence of Christ. 
And what this does, if we aren't paying attention, is demote Jesus from being the eternal Lord right now who sustains everything right now by the mighty power of his command into being Lord gonna be, or maybe Lord someday. If we imagine Jesus as being off somewhere in heaven waiting to come back someday and begin his reign, then it makes it way too easy for us to, the, to default to the idea that Caesar is still Lord. And it makes it way too easy for us to begin to think, well, because Caesar is still Lord and Jesus is off somewhere sitting at the right hand of God, that Caesar is Lord, so Caesar still needs to run the world the way Caesar does. But no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord. doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. Jesus is Lord, and we are being called. We are being invited. As Christians, we are being commanded to live the way Jesus says <laughs> and, and to live and to treat others the way Jesus says because Jesus is Lord. We actually, in many ways, want to reject the ways of modern-day Babylon what the Caesars, what the Nebuchadnezzars of the world would say, right? <laughs> we want to follow King Jesus because King Jesus is Lord right now, King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and so again, where does this begin to play out practically? Now, I know these are big theological ideas, but I know, I know, I know we are dealing with a lot of anxiety. I know we're dealing with a lot of fear. I know we could, we could get very specific. It would not be hard, would it, to get very specific about things that are happening in our world even this week that bring us to tears. And we wonder, what is going on in this world? And we're afraid. We're afraid for our kids. We're afraid for our grandkids. But here's what I want to tell you. I know this world is broken, but Jesus is Lord. And he's Lord right now. And what does the author of Hebrews say? He is sustaining everything right now by the mighty power of his command. And sit with that. You may not even believe it. What do we, we confess more than we can explain. But sit with it and ask the Holy Spirit to drive that truth in your heart so that you do believe it because it's true. If you're a Christian, it's true. Jesus Christ is Lord. He, and he's in control. And so you can, you can be afraid and you can be anxious, but bring it into the presence of God. And remind yourself, Jesus is king of kings. This person over here, this corporation over here, whatever, this country, it doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord. And he's in control. All right, the next great thing about the ascension, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, some of my favorite verses. This is how Matthew ends his gospel. It's not exactly a story of the ascension, but you can see major overlaps. He's communicating the same truths. The final verse is Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus came and said to his disciples, I have been given, what? All authority in heaven and on earth, right? Wait, wait, you don't know. All have, in heaven and on earth, right? Right now. Sustaining all things right now by his mighty power and command. Jesus, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth right now. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. This is now a global project we're a part of. Baptizing them. If you haven't been baptized and you're a Christian, would love to talk with you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching these new disciples to obey. Why obey? Because Jesus is Lord and all authority is his. In heaven and on earth. Teaching them to obey all the commands that Jesus has given us. And then, I love this. It says, be sure of this. In other words, don't doubt this. Don't question this. I know there's going to be times and seasons where you want to be doubting, you want to question, but you don't have to. Jesus wants you to know, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
which again is an interesting thing to think about right now. Now, what's going on? Jesus has physically ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven, but now he's telling us that he's with us always to the end of the age. Well, what what, what do I want you to hear here? I want you to hear that Jesus is not absent. He is present with us. Jesus doesn't say, I'll be back in a few thousand years to check on you. Hang in there. Just keep the boat afloat until I get back. No, Jesus says, I'm with you always. Always. Don't Be sure of this. Always. In the ascension, the Son of God goes from being the at one place, at one time Jesus to the all in all Jesus. The with you always Jesus. Prior to the ascension, Jesus could only be at one spot at one moment. So if you wanted to hear him, relate to him, or experience him, you had to be at that place and that time. But at the ascension, Jesus leaves, we could say, the space-time continuum and passes into the presence of the Father because God really does exist outside of time. Now, Jesus is still human. He's still our second Adam, and he's still our advocate But now he has been so glorified that everything he does has a cosmic scope. This is one of the glories of the ascension. Or as this author continues, as a result, any time-space limitation to his work has now passed away. In other words, you no longer have to go to a single geographical location in order to receive his ministry. He's still doing all the things he did before, You want to know what he was doing, read through the Gospels. He's still doing all of it, but now after the ascension, he's doing them with access to anyone in any place and unbelievably, but so true worldwide, all at once. That's why you and I, we we could all pause and start praying to Jesus right now and he would hear every one of us, thanks to the ascension. (laughs) That's what that means. In other words, the ascension doesn't mean the loss of his intimacy or his leadership or his advocacy. It means the magnification and infinite availability of all of these things. So sometimes you may read through the Gospels and think, man, I wish I lived in the days of Jesus. I know what you mean. I've thought it too, but can I say it this way? You do. You do live in the days of Jesus. He's Lord and he reigns right now. And it may be better. Because if you read through the Gospels, you know the story of Mary and Martha. Mary, my Lazarus is sick. Jesus comes, oh, Jesus, if you had been here. What if you're in Jerusalem and something happens, but Jesus is in Capernaum? Well, he's in Capernaum. But after the ascension, things change. And just to highlight the point, here's our next text. Let's look at John chapter 20, verse 17. I read this on Easter Sunday, if you were with us. So I'll just read the verse this morning. Mary, sister of Martha, it's Easter morning. She's awakening here to the resurrected Jesus, if you will. And Jesus says to her, don't cling to me. She must have like grabbed his arms. Don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. One author says this, when Jesus said, don't hold on to me, I am returning to my father, he was indicating that after he ascended, she'd have access to an even stronger love relationship. Why? Because then he would literally never leave her. And he would not just be, he would not be just, he would be not just in her arms sometimes, but in her heart always. He says, here's the gist of what I think Jesus is saying. 
Mary, I can understand why you don't want to ever lose your mentor and your friend. But if you really understood what was going on, you'd realize that after I ascend, you will have me all the time and forever. The way I am right now, Mary, there's a chance you could lose me. Somebody could put you in jail and I wouldn't be there. But if I ascend to the Father, you will have me forever. If somebody puts you in the deepest, darkest dungeon, I'll be right there with you. You'll have that intimacy. You'll have that fellowship. Nothing at all will ever be able to take me away from you. Or we could say it this way. Jesus is telling Mary, you can let go of my hand, for I can give you something better than my hand and your hand. I can put my heart in your heart. And I want you to hear that this morning and think about this. There is no place you can go. There is no place you can hide. It doesn't matter how dark it gets that Jesus won't be with you. He will never forsake you and he will never abandon you. Now, we'll talk about this when we get to the prayer at the end. You may not always see him in the moment, but I promise you, I promise you, he's always there. That's what the story of God tells us. He's always there. That's what Jesus tells you. I'm with you always. All right, now we're going to kind of jump in. We're going to look at some of what Paul has to say. We're going to go to Ephesians. And because this is a bit of a mystery, it's interesting as Paul talks about, kind of talks about the ascension or the implications of the ascension, he, do, he, almost, he usually does it kind of in the context of prayer. So here's a prayer from Paul, <laughs> Ephesians 1.19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. I'm going to come back to that for us. As I was listening and reading others talking about the ascension, they, land, they always talk about this passage. And several authors that I love to read really highlighted the for us in these verses. It says, this is the same mighty power that, that raised Christ from the dead. I mean, Paul is forever amazed that Jesus has conquered death. You and I should be too. That's good news. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, and here we go with the ascension, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, in God's space, God's dimension. Heaven is not that far away. Now he is far above, again, this language, any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. And again, that might even challenge, how, how could what Jesus is? Not only in this world, which means right now, but also in the world to come, in the age to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And again, nothing falls outside of the phrase all things, just so you get that. All things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. But again, notice here's this phrase, for the benefit of the church. So, so much of the power of God that is displayed at the ascension is for those of us in Christ, for the church. We'll talk about that. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ. And, and check this language out. Who fills all things everywhere with himself. We'll talk about that when we get to the prayer as well fills all things everywhere with himself. So at the center of this prayer for the church is Paul's longing that they will come to realize that this power, the power seen at Easter and now vested in Jesus, is available to them. 
Paul is saying that the man who died for you is now not only at the right hand of the divine throne, but he's there as the executive director of history, if you want to think of it that way. And he's directing everything for the benefit of the church. If you belong to him, if you belong to Jesus, if you trust Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you obey Jesus, then everything that happens is ultimately unfolding and happening for you, for your good, for his plan of salvation. In other words, Jesus' ascension is not merely a great honor for him, but it's also really, really good news for you and I. And I know early on, I remember learning and memorizing Romans 8, 28. If you've never read that verse, you should read it. But basically, Paul says, God is at work, working all things for the, for the good of those in Christ Jesus. I love that verse. But as I've studied the Bible with that verse in my mind, I've realized it's not limited to Romans 8, 28. I mean, obviously, it's in Genesis when Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. It's at the end of 1 Peter when Peter says, you're going you're gonna to suffer for a while, but God will renew and restore you. He's working for good. And it's right here in Ephesians 1. This power that is on display, God is, if you will, the executive director of history, and he's working it all out for your good. In other words, prior to the ascension, oh, sorry, wrong page. <laughs> Paul is not saying that every bad thing that happens to you is actually good or that every cloud has a silver lining. No, he is saying that from the vantage point of eternity, looking back on all of history, it will be clear that even the genuinely bad things that happen, God, by his grace, by his power, by his imagination, has incorporated it and used it by God. So even if it was intended for evil, God has found a way to, to use it for good. You know, the examples that I like to use, I think the first goes all the way back to Corey Ten Boom, the tapestry. You've seen a tapestry, these amazing works of art. On one side, it's pure beauty, right? Just this, this, just weaving things together. But the back side, if you've ever seen the back of a tapestry, it's pure chaos. And a lot of times in the moment, we see the back of the tapestry as our life, and it just looks like pure chaos. What is going on, God? And he's like, oh, let me walk you around to the front. And so at some point, Jesus is going to draw you in. He's, you're going to step around the front. You're going to get a perspective from eternity. Now, certainly that will happen when we meet Jesus face to face. But I think we have moments in prayer when it happens even now. He kind of walks. Maybe we don't see the whole tapestry yet. But he walks us around to the front, and we see this beautiful side. And we're like, whoa, it's beautiful. That's my life. No way. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's your life. But what about this season, Jesus, when all these bad things happened to me? Or what about this season when I was just doing bad things to everyone, even myself? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's there. Jesus, that's right here. You see that right there? And that's right. Yeah, the, the thread was a little coarser. It's harder to work with, but it's right there. It's right there. Wait, that's those seasons? Yeah. You made those good? Yeah. I mean, I know it's a little rough. Do you want me to change those, Jesus might say? And, and you'll look at you. No. No, don't change a thing. I had no idea that you could bring beauty out of those ugly ashes, but you have. Don't change a thing, Jesus. Now that I step back and see from the perspective of eternity, I see the good that you were working out. I also like to talk about kintsuki pottery. That's the other image I like to use, right? This Japanese pottery where you take broken vessels and you put them back together with gold. I talked about this about a month ago, and a bunch of you said, I love that, Jeff. Because I said, I know some of you are thinking, I'm so broken. There's no way I could ever be beautiful again. And if you remember, I said, oh yeah? 
the more broken you are, the more gold you get. That's what God is doing when he puts us back together. I mean, that's a big thing. Of that. That's one of the main things that's shouted at the cross, right? The, the, the enemy, the devil, the powers and principalities intended the crucifixion for evil. And what does the creative power of God do? The love and mercy and forgiveness uses that horrific evil event and saves the world. <laughs> saves you and me. That's what God does. He somehow brings good when there should be no good. But because of his power, his unbelievable power, that's what he does. It's good news. So this is saying that Jesus ascended to begin his reign. But again, I just want to clarify, he's always been king. He's always has, had authority because he is God. But now at the ascension, as the risen God-man, he begins his job as heavenly head of the church, Paul is saying. And now he rules over all other rulers and powers, indeed over everything for the church. Or you could say it this way, Jesus is a directing a cosmic transition plan, one that will bring about new heavens and a new earth. As ascended Lord, he is spreading the gospel and building up his church by working in the hearts of people while he guides all the events of history towards a glorious end. And it will be a glorious end. So this means you can relax. It does mean that you can know peace. Because God is at work, and even if you can't see him right now, there will be moments where he walks you around to the front of the, front of the tapestry. There will be moments where you begin to see the gold binding together as you're healed, these broken parts of you, and you can have peace. Again, you don't have to be anxious or afraid. Or, I was thinking about this, Kami and I have talked about this. It's kind of, I think it's probably a rite of passage of adulthood. But if you've ever been a parent, you realize how much of your time you spend planning out. If you, if you, this is true for most kids if you grew up in a nurturing home. I should say not everyone does, and maybe this wasn't your experience, and I mourn with you. But according to God's design, what, what, what should happen is parents are seeking the good for their kids. And Kami and I don't know how many hours a week we're talking and planning and seeking what's good for our son. But there's something about a rite of passage of adulthood in America where you just become responsible for yourself. You know what I'm talking about? It happens to all of us. And I know as Kami and I have become adults, you know, farther and farther in, you begin to wonder. Now, we know it's not, but you begin to wonder, is anyone out there making decisions for our good like we are for Jay? Everybody's off in their own world. Is anybody else? Well, yes, there are. Jesus is. And maybe, just maybe Crossview could become that kind of place too where we think of one another where we make decisions. We, we Literally, the Holy Spirit brings people to mind and we make decisions that are for their good. And we find out that there are other people out there praying for us and seeking our good. And that's what helps us live life in a broken world. That's what Jesus is doing. He's out there working for our good. How about Colossians chapter 3? Last passage we'll look at quickly. One of my favorite passages. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, right? Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, your truest self, is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, who's your life? Christ is your life. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, when he comes again, when he's revealed to the whole world, when when kind of the veil comes down and everyone sees, oh, Jesus really has been Lord this whole time. <laughs> when Christ is revealed, you will share in all his glory. You will celebrate the coming of his kingdom. 
you will participate in his reign and his rule. Now, the one theological thing I want to say here, and then we'll get to this prayer, is that it's part of the mystery. But, but the way the Bible tells the story is that Jesus has always been, like God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has always been. But at Christmas, at the incarnation, Jesus, again, there's some mystery to this, but Jesus takes on humanity. In other words, as we read in Hebrews, the God who spoke the universe into existence enters into the universe. He enters into the very thing he created. It should, it should blow your mind and make you marvel at the depths to which God's love will take him. But that's what Jesus does. He enters into the story. Uh, he enters into, into creation. He, he takes upon humanity, and then he lives this life, and he shows us what the kingdom is, and then he, he lives the perfect human life, and then he dies on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, and then he's resurrected from the dead. And then he ascends to the right hand of the Father, and in his ascension, this is part of the story of the ascension, why they can see his, his first fruits of the new creation, is in his ascension, he doesn't abandon humanity. It's a theological thing, to, but he takes humanity with him into the very presence of heaven and God. And so when Paul says our life is hidden with Christ and God, there's a sense that, that, yes, when God looks at us, he sees the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, but there's also a sense that Christ has carried humanity with him into the presence of the Father, and so now we are hidden with Christ and God. And we await his return when he renews us, too. He renews all things. He's the first fruits of the new creation. All right, so let's get to this prayer. I want to take a few minutes to walk through this prayer. This, this ancient prayer that in some ways derives from St. Patrick. It's, it's a prayer that I pray, I, I really kind of, I probably had heard it before, prayed it before, but I learned it at prayer school, and I talk about prayer school in form, but um, there's a time in my day where I, when I try to sit with Jesus. I just try to sit with Jesus, and I'm, I'm trying to, to center myself, remind myself who Jesus is, and just, and just be with him, just listen, or just, just, be, just acknowledge that he's there. And so I, I don't do this every day, but I frequently pray this prayer. This is my Ascension Day gift to you. And we have a slide here for those of you who are at home. The prayer goes like this. Christ above me, true God from true God. And so maybe this week it's going to be nice today, tomorrow. Maybe you grab a, a nice big glass of ice cold water or lemonade and you go for a walk and just pray this prayer. It's not hard to memorize. Just pray it. Pray it a few times. Not, not because we're trying to accomplish something by repeating it, but, but you're just making space to remind yourself of who Christ is. He's Christ above you. True God from true God. He's always been. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. That, that, that he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. He's ruler over all. All authority is his in heaven and on earth. I remind myself of that. I pray it. That, you know what that does? It helps me give me a perspective of eternity, which I need. We all need. Christ above me, true God from very true God. But then Christ below me, incarnate of the earth. What I was saying, he's, he's entered into our story. He's entered into humanity. He knows your suffering. He knows your pain. He's felt it himself. There's nothing that you can't, well, you don't know about. Yeah, Jesus knows. And we're connected to him in his, in his humanity, and, and even in a very physical way. Some of you know I have a background in science. I studied chemical engineering. I did a lot of chemistry. I, I did a lot of like working with molecules and atoms. And I remember even coming alive to Jesus and, and even thinking, I'm like, you know, our bodies are always growing and changing, and, and our hair grows, and we cut it off, and our nails grow, and we clip them off. And, 
And you realize there are molecules and atoms out there in the world somewhere that were a part of Jesus' body when he walked on the earth. Fingernail that clipped off, you know, but now something, Jesus is connected to us in very earthy ways in our humanity. He's Christ in front of me when seen. So there are times, there are obvious times when you know Jesus is at work. You see him at work. He's leading you. He's opening doors. We love these. I know you've had these moments. But I also know that for every day where Christ is obviously in front of you when seen, there's 10 days where he's behind you unseen, right? At least that's usually my story. In fact, we were talking about this in small group this week, and someone was, they used the analogy of being in a car They were saying, yeah, you know, when I look out the windshield or I look out my side, sometimes I never see Jesus, but I always see him in my rearview mirror. (laughs) I don't always see him when I'm walking through the mess, but whenever I look back prayerfully, I always, oh, Jesus, you were right there. I didn't see you in that moment, but you were there. And so I pray this every day because there's a lot of days when he's unseen, but I remind myself, I confess, Christ behind me when unseen. I don't feel like you're here right now, Jesus. I don't see you, but I know you're here, and I'm going to confess it. I'm going to pray it. I'm going to get it deep into my soul. Christ to my right. Now, if you're left-handed, you've got to reverse this, but I'm right-handed. Christ to my right, my strength, and to my left, and my weakness. So there are things that you're good at, and Christ has given you those gifts. Use them for the benefit of others. Use, be good at what you're good at, and use it to love your neighbor well. But then there's things you're not good at with your left hand. I learned this in a very clear way in third grade. They used to teach this thing called cursive. I don't think they teach it anymore. I broke my arm, my right arm in third grade. I had to learn how to write cursive with my left hand. It was the sloppiest cursive you'll ever see. I didn't really learn cursive that well because I learned it with my left hand. My weakness, right? There are things that we're not good at. We're inadequate. What does Paul say? What does Paul say? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. So Christ is with me in my strength, but he's also with me in my weakness. I don't have to be afraid of my weakness because Christ is with me in my weakness. Or Christ all around me, holding all things together in love. Again, that's why I think often as Paul is writing about the church, he'll talk about the harmony of the church. Christ holding all things together in love. Or sometimes I've seen it where people will pray what Paul writes in Ephesians. Christ Christ everywhere, filling all things with himself. It just reminds me that somehow, again, I confess more than I can explain, but somehow the very presence of Christ saturates all of his creation because heaven is not that far away. And Christ is with us always. And then Christ within me, forming me to be like him so that I I become like him. Becoming a Christian involves a, a step of faith. You have to believe that Christ died on the cross for you, that he rose again, that he's your savior. It involves a confession. Jesus is my savior and my Lord. And I know that, that can feel like a big step, but, but it, it doesn't take long. You, you make that confession, you invite Jesus into your life, and then, and then you get baptized. Becoming a Christian honestly isn't that hard, but being Christian takes a lifetime to learn. <laughs> it takes a lifetime to have the character of Christ formed in you. So that what comes out of you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's a life we all want. So I pray this. Christ above me, Christ below me. Christ in front of me, Christ behind me. Christ to my right, Christ to my left. Christ all around me and Christ within me. I pray this. I offer this to you as an ascension day, a holiday gift. Take it home with you. Try it out. 
not necessarily every day, but maybe, maybe two or three times a week, just pray this and remind yourself that Jesus Christ has ascended and he is Lord, Lord of all. Amen? Let's pray. All right, Jesus, we did a little bit of theologizing and a little bit of applying, and now we have homework. And so we ask you, Jesus, we invite you to meet us where we are and to take us where you want to go. Jesus, we do want to confess our fears, our anxiety. Maybe we want to confess our sins, our failures. We want to lay them down at the cross, and we want to stand tall knowing that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Knowing that you haven't abandoned us or forsaken us, you are with us always to the end of the age. The good news is good news, Jesus. Would we live as if this were true? (laughs) And would we do the work that you have called us to do? In your name we pray, amen.